but I needed Sochi to happen to make me a better athlete and a better person. You know, I, I think it's made me a lot more, a lot more patient, a lot more resilient over over the years. It definitely changed who I was as a person. Hi, and welcome to Purpose to Perform. I am Dr. Joe Brown, APA titled sports and exercise physiotherapist, mentor, and coach. And this is a new podcast dedicated to high performance for anyone who's up for it. Driven by purpose, join me as we dive deep and explore what it takes to be a high performer, integrate and assimilate cutting-edge evidence, learn from experienced experts in all aspects of high performance, and ultimately inspire your journey into performance. Whether you are an athlete, coach, or allied health professional, this podcast is for you. Welcome to my world. Welcome to Purpose to Perform. Let's do this. Hello and welcome to the Purpose to Perform podcast. I'm Dr. Joe Brown, sports physiotherapist and performance coach. And today I'm joined with Melissa Perrine, triple Paralympian and dual medalist at the Pyeongchang Winter Paralympic Games. In 2019, she was a Paralympic Female Athlete of the Year here in Australia and finished second overall in the Para-Alpine standings for the year. She's also only one of five women, if I'm wrong, correct me now, to actually represent Australia at a Winter Paralympic Games, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's somewhere around five or six. So amazing to have you on the show and I really have a special place in my heart for Paralympians because I know you guys do it a lot harder than some of the other athletes. So welcome, Melissa. Welcome to Purpose to Perform. Cool. Thanks for having me. So at Purpose to Perform, we're all about creating, educating and inspiring the extraordinary. And Mel, you just do all of that and so much more. And is it correct that you're also a physio these days and studied exercise science as well? I am. I decided to stop being a perpetual student and actually get my act together and graduate my physiotherapy degree. So I've been in private practice for the last, oh gosh, two and a half, nearly three years now. So I think it's fair to say you are extraordinary and an overachiever. <laughs> overachiever. <laughs> totally get it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, like I mentioned earlier, I am so passionate about um, sharing the stories of athletes, but also like Paralympic athletes that have a special place in my heart. And there's something about the Paralympic movement and I'm sure so many people that never get to be a part of the Paralympics wouldn't understand... But it's more than sport, isn't it? Like Paralympics is more than sport. Can you like share your insight on that at all? Paralympics is, is definitely more than sport. It's, there are so many different stories that come out of the Paralympic movement and the athletes, the coaches, um, our guides, everyone's got their own story. And I know that's true of all athletes um, the world over, but I feel like Paralympians just have a bit more depth to our stories. Um, We've all come from places of hard, hardness or, or, you know, we've had to get through some other stuff in our lives um, as well as being elite athletes. And it puts us in a different place, I think, to a lot of able-bodied athletes. Um, you know, it doesn't, it just makes us different. Uh, but in a, in a good way, I feel like I'm so proud to be a Paralympian and I'm so proud to be part of this movement. I've met some of the best people in the world. Um, I truly believe that. It's... It's filled with fantastic human beings that are just striving to be the best. Yeah, amazing. So well said, Mel. And that's exactly my experience being involved with the Paralympic movement is there's just a greater depth to everything you do. And 
there's just a sense of achievement with every little milestone. It's not just about winning. And I think sometimes in sport these days, it's all about, you know, the show and about the winning and um, the Paralympics is so different to that. So it's an amazing thing to be a part of. We, uh, we have an appreciation for the journey that takes it takes us there as well you know obviously like I said we're all we're all incredibly high achievers you kind of have to be in this at this level of sport but um as you said we we celebrate the milestones on the journey as well as the end result too yeah and I'm just like love what you're saying there because I believe performance isn't just the outcome it's the journey as well and so many people think the performance is you know what you do on race day but there's so much behind that and the purpose of this podcast to me is sharing those journeys that, like you say, the 10 year journey behind the two minute bit of glory. And that's the bit that really matters, that resilience and perseverance and that just showing up day after day and doing that with a disability as well as just next level. So hats off to you, Mel, for achieving everything you have so far. And I'm sure you're going to continue to do great things. I'm going to so- try. <laughs> I can't wait to see. We'll have to do another podcast in a couple of years. So, Mel, as a Paralympian, you're always classified, and you're classified as B2, is that correct? That is correct, yeah. And can you explain just a little bit about what that means and what your actual sport is? Yeah, so I'm a, uh, as you just said, I'm a B2 athlete, and in my sport there are three different categories, uh, blind, sitting, and standing. In so I'm a, a blind skier, um, I'm an alpine skier, and I'm a B2. So that means that out of the three visually impaired categories, B1, B2, and B3, I'm at essentially the center rank there. Uh, what that essentially means is I have less than 5% of my vision. Um, B1s are completely blind, and B2s have between 10 and 5% of their vision. So uh, I ski race down a very steep, very snowy mountain um, with 5% of my vision and it's a lot of fun. Oh my God, you're amazing. I just get goosebumps when you talk about it. I ski down the mountain pretty fast with full vision (laughs) and it's still scary and I'm sure lots of our listeners are just going, wow, what kind of person, you know, can do that. So essentially you are throwing yourself down the mountain as fast as possible with 5% of your vision, which is not much because you're going, it's going back by so fast, correct? Oh, I've got no idea how fast anything's going by my eyes. I can't see it. Well, so obviously you can't get down there by yourself. <laughs> no, no, no. You wouldn't be here to tell the story. So can you just explain how it works like in real life? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Uh, so every visually impaired skier, like a lot of other other visually impaired sports, we use a guide um, to help us, basically, to facilitate our participation or our performance. Um, in skiing, uh, the guide skis in front of the visually impaired athlete. We are not connected by any sort of tethers or ropes. That's a common misconception. We are not tied together in any way, shape or form. What we do have is a Bluetooth headset in our helmets. And as we go through a race course um, built, made of blue and red poles or flags turning left and right, my guide will then call out um, the direction of the turn as well as the consistency of the snow, um, any terrain features that might be, that might be in front of me, um, 
also she's doing the exact same thing that I'm doing. So not only does she have to see what's in front of her, read the correct race line, adapt it for herself. She also has to communicate all that information back to me as succinctly and quickly and accurately as possible. I was going to say really um, quickly and accurately. Oh my God, yeah, the yeah. mind of someone to be able to do that is so amazing. And then for you to process that, it's just... Oh, I, I couldn't be able to do it. Like, she's amazing. I've got <laughs> no idea how she does what she does or any of my guides. Like, yeah. Mass respect to all guides out there. So amazing. Does it ever go wrong? Like, have you ever had... Oh, so... <laughs> <laughs> what happens when it goes wrong? Is it all biffo or is it just like... Oh, sometimes, sometimes it's all fun and games. Like, sometimes... Okay, so, for example, sometimes um, at World Cup finals last year, I think Bobby, my current guide, we'd finished the course... Um, actually skied a pretty good run like it wasn't too bad coming out of the start coming out of the finish area enclosure there was quite a bit of sun and there was a couple of like um switchbacks to get through the through the fencing around the thing Mm -hmm. she forgot to call left and right and i skied straight through the fence um not my fault (laughs) (laughs) you just yelled out i'm blind i didn't see it and you can't go to fence right uh, we're talking like my ski, it was like um, bunting or, or like soft ropey kind of fences. I was all caught up. I was like a fish in, like, out of water. <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> Again, compl- like hilarious, absolutely funny. But um, so that's, that's just, and she's just like, oh my God, I forgot. Like the race was over. And I that my job- like relatively well, like you were safe, right? But it could go a completely other way. Like do you ever get scared? Oh, definitely. Definitely get scared. Um, at the beginning of my career, I was more of a speed skier than what I am now. So we have a couple of different disciplines in, in um, alpine skiing, ranging from downhill to slalom. So downhill being uh, the fastest event where um, visually impaired skiers can reach upwards of 100 k's an hour. Um, and slalom, which is the tempo of turns are a lot quicker and it's a lot more technical. So at the start of my career, I was a speed skier and... Going that fast, um, you know, essentially risking your life every time you push out of a start gate, uh, whether it be in training or a race, it's it's confronting and it's terrifying. And it's also one of the most exhilarating things that I have ever done or will ever do in my entire life. So, yeah, scary as hell. Um, to the point at some points where I've actually ended up crying on the side of the hill because I was that terrified. But it's um, it's worth it. It was worth it. And I think that was, I probably met you around about that time. I think trying to figure it out with you before where I'm thinking feeling like 2011 ish, um, like earlier in your career. And I think you were speed skiing then. I do remember you were quite new to the sport relatively and yep. your um, guide was Andy. And I think you'd had, you were a little bit, you know, upset pre a race or after a race and I remember got like why was her be bawling her eyes out like she's just hurling herself down a mountain <laughs> and uh, another day I just remember going skiing with you both um like we had a day off and there was powder day and I was like yeah yeah you know she's she can't see she, I'll be able to keep up like I'm a pretty good skier <laughs> gone so, yeah but that speed skiing that does day, sound pretty actually, well, you stayed with us yeah, yeah, I did well, I thought. Yeah. So, you know, you, you surprised me, much like the Paralympics women's did when I worked with them. I thought, 
you know, I was looking for these people floundering around in the pool and there was these people just batting up and down. And I think that's what people don't understand about Paralympic sport. Like there's actually a really high quality of sport participation and competition. It's just not the same as able body. And I think that's a really important message to get across. Um, that's, a, that's my main message, I think, with the Paralympics and the one that I, I hammer home to everybody that I talk to about this, everyone who asks me about my journey or my story or my sport. I'm always like, you know, we're not, we're not better or worse than able bods. We're just different. Like I would never be able to do what an able-bodied skier at like my um, comparable level can do. I can't. I don't even try. But I don't think they could do what I do either. Um, so it's kind of like, it's completely different, but it's still just as hard and we are just as competitive and this is not a participation games. This is not a participation <laughs> sport, not even. It's still sport. elite sport. And I think that's what a lot of people <laughs> don't understand as well. And I, I share the same message and thanks for reiterating that again. Totally. Uh, so it's, it's a bit of a soapbox for me. So <laughs> <laughs> You can stand on that girl. You go for that. <laughs> So how did your skiing journey start? Um, by accident, to be brutally honest. Um, I was, I'm, none of my family ski. Uh, my younger brother has started skiing in the past five or six years. But when I was younger, about 12 is when I started skiing. And at that time, I was actually a gymnast. Um, very clumsy child. Mum, you know, sport was the answer to everything. And it was. And um, so she love threw that. me. Into I love your mum. Sport is the answer to everything. <laughs> She's like, I have an incredibly clumsy child. What do I do? Put her in a sport that teaches her where her body is. Amazing. And um, that was fantastic. But a coach that coached at a different club to me that like we always competed against um, worked for a disabled sporting organisation, and they happened to be running a recreational. Sport camp down in conjunction with Disabled Winter Sports Australia um, the, when I was in year seven of high school. And she had someone drop out last minute and she knew that I was visually impaired and said, hey, do you want to come? And I was like, it's a week off school. I don't even know what's getting it. Sure, why not? <laughs> First run down, I sold my soul basically. Like that was it for me. I loved it ever since. Skied recreationally all through high school, uh, finished the hell year that is the HSC and basically decided to take a gap year before I embarked on more studies. Took myself to Canada, found a disabled um, development ski racing program that was run by an ex-Australian para coach um, in Kimberley, British Columbia. Was there for two months, fell in love with racing, went back again the next year. Uh, someone passed my name on to the Steve Graham, the old Australian head coach, and he saw me ski in Perisher of 09. So the year of 09, I was being guided by a snowboarder, actually. Yeah, one of DWA's guides, uh, he, he was guiding me, and like, he, he's the one that taught me what edges were all about, to be honest with you. So, yeah, saw me ski and invited me to join the team on a camp in... New Zealand about three weeks later um, and the rest is history was classified qualified World Cup and paras in um, my first race series in North America um, 2009 and yeah I've been going ever since 
And are you still training now? Like what's happening for you with COVID and everything? Have you had, managed to have a season? Yeah, uh, we did. We had a bit of a season. It was shortened and altered as per everything COVID-based these days. Um, but we got a season off. Uh, N-Swiss was fantastic in kind of bringing New South Wales health regulations and making sure that we're all um, all out, we're all traced and tracked and um, educated to within an inch of our lives of how we mm-hmm. should conduct ourselves. Snow, so we were able to get. I uh, was able to get two and a half weeks of training on snowing, which is not a lot, but with work, it was pretty much all that I could manage. And then we are currently planning to head overseas in January. Yep, fingers like fingers so many crossed. fingers right now. Um, yeah, so that's the current plan, and hopefully, if the world doesn't go to hell in a handbasket anytime soon, it'll happen. So, a I know you had a lot of success, like in 2019, as I said at the start, and sounds like you and your guide, Bobby, is that correct? Have I got Bobby's correct? Yeah. And we're just yeah. absolutely killing it all over the world. And I can imagine, like I met you when you, Andy was your guide, and, and you've had this like amazing success recently with Bobby. And I, I'm assuming that relationship with your guide is so important and how like does rapport and trust and everything feed into that and how do you kind of decide who's your guide or do you get a choice just tell us a bit about that i have been so incredibly lucky with my guides i really have uh andrew and i were put together as a chance happening i think he was an Mm -hmm. assistant coach with the team and the most able and fittest of the lot so he got me He got the he got the job. Um, so uh it was just so fortunate that we got on. Um yeah, and yeah. he he's a cool dude too, uh he, he was a really cool dude. He's um I have so much respect for Andrew. He he taught me all about skiing and he taught me a lot about life. He we were together for seven years and we had a lot of ups and downs, like we truly went through a, a lot of good things and a lot of bad things basically together and yeah, he was fantastic. It's like a marriage because there's so much trust and like an ongoing relationship that to be there for each other and stuff and all the travel was a pretty big. Yeah, it's massive. Um, he dedicated a lot of his time to me um, and I can't thank him enough for that, basically. Um, it, yeah, can't say enough good stuff about him. Um, then I moved on and my then coach also became my guide, Christian. Um, he guided Jess Gallagher in mm-hmm. 2014 at the Sochi Games mm-hmm. um, and then picked up coaching the team straight after that. Um, Cree and I were friends, then teammates, then coach and athlete and then guide and athlete um, whilst being coach and then coach, guide and athlete. All like, There was a lot of roles, but... We had a very special connection, very special. Like, we're still fantastic friends now. Um, I was messaging him earlier. <laughs> so, you know, again, different, a different kind of bond, but certainly one just as deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Bobby, there, there's a story with Bobby. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what we're here yeah, for. <laughs> that's what we're here. It's, a, it's one that I keep teasing her with, so she, she'll hate this. But... Bobby had been asked to guide me for about two years before she finally said yes. And it was, she, she had other stuff going on for life. She was, she's a level four instructor at, out of Parisha. Um, she's a 
instructor trainer now. Like she's an insanely cool human as well. Um, but we'd been trying, Cree had been trying to convince her to guide me for years and years. Um, two, yeah, about two years, about three seasons, he'd been trying to, to get her to come over to Para and give guiding a track, crack, but she was not interested in the slightest. Um, finally, he talked her into giving it a try. And she gets in front of me first time down and Cree, um, we skied the Paralympics. So this was the 2018 summer season. Oh, sorry, winter season in Australia. And Christian says to Bobby, just ski normally, Mel will keep up. You'll, she'll fig- like, you guys will figure it out. And that was basically the thing. Um, Bob's takes off down the hill in a snowplow. And you're like tapping <laughs> her on the shoulder. Excuse me, I can go faster than that. After about three turns, I'm like, okay, maybe she's just nervous, but she did the entire run at Perishal. Oh, like, wow. From- like in a green <laughs> run or something. I'm just, I don't know what, I turned around and looked at Christian while I was still skiing. I'm like, cause he was right behind me. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what is <laughs> Hands in the air. <laughs> I'm just literally going, really? Like, really? This, 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 is, this is what you've been trying to get for two years? But this is the thing, right? Like, she just didn't get it. She just didn't uh, get that, what Parasport was. So this is exactly what we are saying before. Exactly, exactly what we are saying before. And um, eventually, like, it, it took her about three runs and then she finally clicked. She watched Christian and I ski together and she's like, oh, I understand now. Okay, I and get it, it, it now. It, it was that instant that she just got it. And ever since then, like, she's been so adaptable and flexible and she, um, we've just, we clicked straight away after that. <laughs> and ours was almost a bit of an instant friendship, I guess. Like, we... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we just, we click, we're quite opposite in personality, but we click, we, we just, we work together. Um, but yeah, it was like you said, uh, uh, the lack of awareness of, um, ability or disabled ability and the fact that not enough exposure, like, um, mm. she'd never been in a situation, even we were talking about this after a couple of weeks of her guiding me that year, she'd never even been in a situation where she'd had a, a conversation with a person with a disability about their disability sort of thing. Like she'd never even been able to feel comfortable having that conversation. And you've wow. been about the power team. They're so not politically correct. Or, oh, or no sh- way. That's what I love about it. <laughs> We're not shy about sharing. We'd rather people ask, right? Um, yeah. Wow. So that was a massive eye-opener for her for her and to her absolute credit and she ha- she jumped straight in with both feet and embraced the challenge um and she's a fantastic guide we just we mesh so well together and do you think like that relationship was like the foundation for that like success in that 2019 season do you think that had a part or is that more about your fitness and your skill level or do you think that was an Im- impacted on it 110 percent uh if i've always I've always been a big one on trust. If I can't trust the person in front of me, then I can't ski. And yeah. there's been times. Blind, you can't see where you're going. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> exactly. Um, times in the past where, you know, I've been, I've just, for some reason, I don't like, I don't even know some stupid reason, no doubt knowing my somewhat contrary brain um, where I just lost trust for an instant. And all of a sudden everything just went out the window. I couldn't, I mm-hmm. couldn't even turn my head. With Bobby, there was trust there. And mm-hmm. the, we, we often, because we're asked this question a lot, we kind of, our partnership meshed very quickly and we're just like, we'll, we'll try and figure it out. 
one day it's like, well, one, we really like each other Two, I trust her um, because our communication has always been very blunt and very open and upfront right from the beginning. Um, I'll tell her if she's doing something skiing wise that I don't like, but she'll tell me just as quickly, um, which is fantastic. And it's that open communication that leads to the trust. And so I know um, deep down that if she says I've got to do something, then I have to do it and I have to do it then. And like, I don't even question it anymore. Like there's no question in my mind that what she's saying is right. Um, And if it's not, then it's not, but you know, I, she always, it's just, it is trust. Um, yeah. You know, skill and ability is one thing, but with a visually impaired athlete, no amount of, no amount of skill is going to give me my eyesight back. You know, yeah. that's Bob. Yeah. And that's Bobby. Yeah. That's so powerful. You made my heart sink. <laughs> not meant to get emotional on these things, Joe. <laughs> and what I hear just with you talking is that, you know, that real true, like you're talking about trust and that real true connection, that open communication. And do you think like her being female was part of that? Like I always question because when I travel a lot with athletes overseas and quite often spending a lot of time with athletes and the females always say it's so great having a female because quite often the male, these male coaches and then like being the physio and being, and I just think there's a, there's a different kind of bond possibly, I don't know. What do you think about that? I agree to a certain extent. Uh, it's odd. I get asked this a lot, actually. And it's I, I have, I think, a little bit of a differing opinion to most females in sport mm. when this comes I grew up with two brothers. I grew up um, around soccer fields. And I was, I was one of the boys growing up. Um, coming into the team, it was a team full of boys. The only female on the team was Jess Gallagher. And then, so that male orientated culture has never been, I've never found that too confronting or, mm-hmm. um, and I actually like the, the bluntness of it. I like mm-hmm. that openness, yeah. um, which I sometimes find hard in female culture. Yeah. Um, not always, uh, but sometimes it really is there. Yeah. But, but not with Bobby, so that. Not with Bobby, like Bobby's, um, the fact that I think we get along so well is because we have that open communication, that open trust. And like, you know, she's never going to tell me that we're doing something well, if we're not doing something well, there's no, there's no hard feelings about saying whether one of us is screwed up or not. Like there's nothing. Yeah, there Move on. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I had that same open communication with Christian as well. Um, it took longer to develop with Christian. So maybe the fact that I could develop it so quickly with Bobby was one um because she was female and there is you know there's a certain there is a certain link there i think the female to female link is really quite powerful you know we do take strength mm-hmm. from each other like, um one of my teammates tori has recently retired and i was when she retired i'm like crap how am i gonna do this without her <laughs> i think i saw that on your um instagram or facebook or something i was like you poor chick uh yeah but- i was like literally um right choice for her and I'm so proud of her for doing what she's doing right now but I'm just like literally thinking after she retired I'm like how do I do this journey without you like you've been by my side since 2012 like what the hell yeah Yeah, a bit of a roundabout bit bit of a roundabout way to say that I'm not going to say it's completely because she's female but um I think it's just a different communication style yeah yeah I think think that summarizes it perfectly so we've talked about lots of successes and you know, you've had, you've had some amazing 
achievements. But I know in every athlete's journey, there's some low points, right? And oh, yeah. yeah, just, you know, one, one of the lower points in your journey thus far and, you know, in that time, like how did you come back to your own and what strengths did you draw on in that time? When anyone asks about the low point in my career, my mind always goes back to Sochi. Mm-hmm. Sochi was the games from hell for me. <laughs> I don't think, I honestly don't think Stephen King could have written a better, a better <laughs> if he tried. <laughs> oh, tell us more. <laughs> I came into Sochi at top of one of like one of the top female VIs in the sport. I'd finished on the top of the GS um, discipline rankings that year. I won the first race against my main rival that year. Like I was soaring. It was like the perfect prep to a games. Um, you know, it was, it was fantastic. Uh, and then we had a lot of, uh, one of our teammates sadly passed away. Um, Maddie Robinson, he was a snowboarder. Um, he passed away and that kind of put a pal on the, um, on our preparation. Everyone took the hardest hit, our snowboarder crew in particular, but you know, he was well loved. And then going into the games, I, it was emotional, but you know, emotion, you, you do try and use it compartmentalize or, or use what you get there. Rocked up to Sochi, the snow was horrible. It hadn't snowed in about two months. They were trucking in snow from other areas yeah, I of Russia. It was a disaster, wasn't it? It was, it was a disaster. I have never skied on snow like it. We raced on the same downhill or same race hills as the Abelbods that were there um, three weeks earlier. Um, the snow was bad three weeks before we got there. <laughs> and they'd put a bunch of salt and chemical to try and harden it up for those guys. And that chemical was still, in the, I've never ever felt snow like it. It it was dead. There was nothing there. It was like sand. We couldn't inspect parts of our downhill. Like it was literally (laughs) horrible. Skied downhill, um, finished horribly, skied very poorly. I was like, okay, one bad race, not my best event. It's okay. Super G was up the next day. I was like, I got this. Like it's Super G. It's my favorite event like it's one of my it's one of my top ones and I was going so well I think I was up a second and a half off the eventual gold medal winner um at the final split uh I'm talking there was about 300 meters left of track to go um and I forget that there's a left hand right footed turn at the bottom of a pitch and I just go straight past the gate um in ski racing if you miss a gate you are out (laughs) so that sucked so did not finish the the super super G um, super combined uh, they flipped the they flipped the schedule so slalom was up first instead of super G uh, I under in conjunction with coaches and 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 team I, I had a visor on my helmet to try and prevent rain um, none of us thought to check the check the ruling on that one so got an equipment disqualification after I was second in the slalom leading into my best event, the second run, which would have been the oh, super G run. Okay. So I was sitting in the silver medal position, knowing that I could have beat just about anyone on the hill that day. And I was disqualified. GS come over a pitch, ski pops off, crash. Slalom, 
two gates in, ski pops off, crash. It, it could not have got any worse. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no. And then I was crucified in the media. Um, it was it was really quite horrible reading some of the stuff that was written about me back then. And thankfully, it was none of the APC reporters or media people. But you know, some of the stories picked up from the press back home were you know they were tough to listen to when I got back into the country. Um, and I seriously contemplated retiring after that. I was low. I lost all confidence in myself, my ability, everything. I I had nothing left. I was just emotionally and physically wrung out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, I was, I was done. Um, basically I took some time away from the team. I took six months away from skiing and then realized that I still loved it mm-hmm. and that, um, you know, the love of the sport still outweighed all the crappy stuff. So I went back and I'm very grateful I did. Thanks so much for sharing that, Mel. And I, I have heard this story, not in you, for you, obviously, but so many athletes tell me about this low point and tell me about this thought of retiring and then they take a break and they're like, you know what, I still love it and they go back. And so many times I see athletes and I hear these stories of athletes being at that point and then realising how much they love it but then come back to have their greater success after yeah they had that point of, you know, being that lowest point. So I talk about this, you know, bouncing off the bottom idea is, you know, a big wave surfers and they have to go all the way to the bottom to bounce back up again. And I just really think that, you know, that happens in athletes so often and don't ever fear that low point because it's probably going to be a turning point, not a low point. I agree with that completely. I needed Sochi. I needed Sochi to happen to me. You know, I'd gone from, a re- you know, relatively neophyte in the sport from strength to strength. Yeah, I had setbacks in training and whatnot, but I never truly felt what actual, I don't know, failure felt like. And I truly felt like Sochi was a failure for me um, in so many different ways. But I needed Sochi to happen to make me mm-hmm. a better athlete and a better person. You know, I, I think it's made me a lot more, a lot more patient, a lot more resilient over, over the years, sometimes. <laughs> Occasionally I forget, but yeah, every now and again, I'm just like, wow, you know, it definitely changed who I was as a person. Yeah. And if we think of failure as just feedback, you know, you were just needing that feedback to find yourself again. And I think all athletes, you know, at some point need to have that low point to get that feedback, to figure out how much they want it, how much they're willing to work and really, you know, reassess. Yeah. Yeah. I think like a lot of athletes at that point in my career, a lot of things had come relatively smoothly, you know, things like, the learning curve was massive. Like you said, had to hit bottom to realize how much I wanted it still and how, you know, you got to find, you got to find your passion again somehow. Yeah. So she just, like you said, it was the ultimate level of feedback and I love feedback. Um, I'm a bit of a feedback junkie when it comes to like perfecting stuff. I'm a bit of a, bit of a perfectionist when it comes to things mm-hmm. like that. So. Going from the lowest point, I'd love to ask you what your highest point was. And I, guess so many people just assume it's the gold you know the gold medal the silver medal or whatever is that the case for you is it the actualization of winning a Paralympic medal or the Paralympic medal was fantastic um don't get me wrong I um for anyone who knows me um it's sitting on my bookshelf and they are sitting on my bookshelf um may not sound like much but for anyone who knows me and knows how much that I 
love reading and completely froth over books. It's, it's quite high praise. So I'm pretty sure she's a book lover. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, a complete book addict. You've I've more always got more than five books on the go sort of thing. Like it's insane. Um, but and are you still addicted yeah. to coffee? Yes. I'm still addicted to coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I have patients and footballers who bring me coffee. <laughs> You're just going to train your patients well as part of being a good physiotherapist. Yep. I have some patients who beg me for early appointments, um, but who know me quite well after I've treated them for a couple of years. It's like, we'll bring you a coffee. It's okay. Can we please have that seven o'clock time slot? It's always the way forward for um, early morning appointments. And the medals were fantastic. You know, standing on the podium with Christian was beyond awesome. But for me, the absolute high point of my career was almost ongoing. And it was the the trio of support that we had during that season was Christian, Tori and myself. You know, that network of, of feedback and hard work and truly trying to excel at what we were trying to do and believing in each other and picking each other up when we were down and facing trials because there was a lot of hard parts. I was quite sick before the, the um, PyeongChang Games, actually. Because of my epilepsy, I, I had a came very, very close to having a full-blown seizure about a week out from the games um, and just the support that those, those two gave me and the support network that we created, like that's the high point for me. Like the medal is a realization of that. Um, and it's fantastic. It's great. If I could give one to Tori, I would, if she'd take it, I'd give it to her. <laughs> like, I think you know, we should all have one. They were going to go, they were going to give it out like three part medals so they could give them, the athlete could give like to a coach or whoever or, or the parents or whatever. The, yeah. Yes, because I would give one to Tori. Um, but it, that 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 bond, that friendship that formed over those those two, like the culmination of that was that's what was super special to me. Like that's what that's the high point in my career, having that bond and being part of something that was that special. Wow, I'm just hearing like how important it is to belong and have a tribe that believes in you. That's so cool. Oh. Yeah, we often joke that Christian had more faith in Tori and I than we did ourselves. And, like, it was his drive that got us to be where we were. Like, his belief in us got us to reach, you know, he made us better skiers um, from the start. He tore us down and built us back up. Like, he was a fantastic coach to have and he's a great friend. Yeah, that power of belief and having someone that believes in you before you can realise it yourself, that's just... He saw something there that we didn't see and sometimes still don't see. So, you know. And that's the power of a great coach. Yeah, it is. It really is. Every, every great coach, I think, cares so much more than what they're willing to admit. They put everything into their athletes and everything into the process. And we don't see all the effort and all the heartache our coaches go through. I feel like we know about it, like in the background, like it's, it's kind of there. Like we, we realize that they work hard and all this sort of stuff and they wouldn't, like if they didn't care about us, they wouldn't be there. But at the same time, like having that close connection, like Cree, Tori and I traveled as a trio around for two seasons, I think. Like we were yeah. just, there was just us three. So seeing it firsthand, what he put in day in, day out without complaint, like late nights, early mornings, he coached, he guided, he teched, he drove, he, he was logistics. That's powerful. Do everything. Do everything. Exactly. He did everything for us. And the belief that he carried throughout all of that, 
seem, seemingly never wavered. I'm sure it did, but, um, you know, it truly drove home just how much someone's belief in you can change everything. Yeah, so powerful. And I think the thing that a lot of people don't realise is those nights when the athlete's lying awake in bed at night, the coaches are lying awake in bed at night too, right? Like they're not just oh, yeah. like going straight to sleep. They're just as nervous and anxious half the time as the athlete. So I'm pretty sure Christian was more nervous at the, the Paralympics than I was. Like I, we were right there. And then there is this, there's this video footage somewhere. And I remember it distinctly. We were watching Tori skater downhill or the super G or something like that. I was like, Krishna his arm around my shoulder. I was like biting my ski jacket and he's clenching everything. <laughs> so invested in every second of everything that she was doing. It was the most nerve wracking thing. And he was right. He was skiing every line of that with her. And you could see it. Like I could feel it. I was right there next to what him yeah. watching her. Now you're a physiotherapist. <laughs> yeah, How do you reflect back on, obviously you've had injuries along the way. Has that impacted how you think about injury and your training at all? It has actually. Um, it's made me realise that no matter what, I, I'm, I'm currying, I think you, you may remember that I'm ACL deficient in one knee. Mm-hmm. And I haven't had an ACL for oof, 11 years now. So um, I'm, I'm very ACL deficient. It doesn't exist. It hasn't existed for over a decade. Um, and I've also got hip issues on the exact same side. So my training has always had to be really adaptable. And then as a physio, I've come to appreciate that even more. But it's also made me realize there is always a way to do something. Like I don't have to stop training just because I'm carrying injuries. In fact, that would be so bad. Mm-hmm. A lot of patients, especially the active, more active ones, are just like, I don't want to stop going to the gym. I'm like, oh, God, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, please don't stop what we want you to do. No, no, no. It's like, oh, I thought you'd tell me to stop. I'm like, no, <laughs> definitely not going to say that. Um, there's always a way to adapt. And I love that um, physiotherapy encourages practitioners to be adaptive. Um, and it's made me a more adaptive athlete as well. I think like taking injuries into consideration and also tapering when I need to, taking a break when I need to, taking care of myself when I need to. Um, you know, at, at some point I had to start practicing what I was preaching to my patients. So mm-hmm. I- actually you know when I'm encouraging people going through rehab from injuries or telling them that it's okay to take a break every now and again and to not think about their injury or their performance or something I'm like oh wait maybe I should be listening to this advice I hear you I hear you (laughs) as a physiotherapist and a high performance athlete you could give one piece of advice to athletes out there what advice would you give Strength training. Do strength, strength training. Strength, strength. <laughs> strength. Um, so many athletes in high demand, high impact sports don't strength train. Um, and it blows my mind. Even from something as simple as running, I, I truly believe that you need to be strength training to run. Um, you know, our body handles so much impact from forces when we're walking, running and jumping. And then if you want to do these things on a habitual basis, even if you're a recreational athlete and you're not, training to do that you're going to get injured and you're going to have to take time from something that you love find a really good physio or a strength trainer or an ep tell them what you want to be able to do tell them that your sport goals tell them your recreation goals hell if you just want to go climbing on the weekend tell them that and they will give you a really good program to help you 
do what you love to do better and not get injured while you do it. Um, you know, it's very easy to pick the weak points once you're already injured, but you know, mm-hmm. if you address it straight up um, or find someone who can identify them before they become an injury, that's really important and it'll make you a better athlete. Yeah, I definitely resonate with that hundred percent. And, you know, I believe as physios so often we have this role of taking someone from pain to performance, but imagine if we just didn't have to start from pain and we could stay, start halfway up the ladder, right? Like performance is so much closer than going all the way back to pain and going back up again. So, um, really great advice. Do you want a job? I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Um, to finish off. Mel, this has been so great chatting to you. And I just want to finish off with five quick questions. And the whole idea is just kind of the first thing that comes into your head, you say. Okay. So first question is, what does the little voice in your head say to you on race day? Crazy. Crazy. Good. Yeah. What does that same little voice in your head say to you on a hard training day? Just keep going. It'll be worth it. Perfect. Three words to describe you as an athlete. Realistic, driven, mm-hmm. and a bit of a perfectionist. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. Favorite training? Location or? Like doing whatever. So like, would you rather be on the hill? Would you rather be in the gym doing Pilates? What would you like? What's your favorite thing to do? My favorite thing to do, um, other than than. Skiing, of course, because that's my, what I do, is uh, martial arts. Ah, awesome. Oh, you'd be yeah. dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Even though she can't see you, she can still kill you. We've <laughs> <laughs> been talking to my training partners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I already recorded with them before. <laughs> biggest inspiration. My biggest inspiration? Oh, <laughs> only one. Um, you can have a few. I can have a few. Yeah. Uh, Ronda Rousey. She's, she's mm-hmm. my go-to, my mother. And I'm also going to say, no, I can't pick. Those two. Okay. Ronda, that'll do. Awesome. And finally, this is the Purpose to Perform podcast. So what is performance to you? Performance to me is pushing as absolutely hard as you can and putting your best, your best go down, no matter what I to me, medals and podiums honestly don't matter. If my performance, my my execution of the thing that I'm meant to be good at is not up to scratch, then that's a poor performance. So for me, good performance, true performance comes from all the little things that you've been putting together, coming together at that one moment. If that makes me 10th or makes me first, as long as those things came together at the when they were meant to, that that's true performance to me. Amazing. So just giving... At all you've got on the day, given the work that you've done and what you've put in. Bringing, bringing everything you, absolutely everything you have to the table and then yeah. laying it down. Game. Exactly. That, that's what performance is. Beautiful. Love it. Well, thanks so much, Mel, for coming on the show. It's been amazing having you here and maybe we'll have to touch base before the next <laughs> Paralympics. Uh, Beijing? Beijing. Beijing 2022. Oh, I feel like there might be another episode coming on. <laughs> see see where you are then. Well, yeah, yeah. hope you get over to um, the Northern Hemisphere in January. Um, I'm fingers crossed the world's going to open up so I can do a bit of travel as well. So good luck and so great having you on the show. Thank you.
Thanks so much, Joe. It's been awesome. Before I go, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen to a podcast and give it a rating. That way you won't miss out on the next episode. If you have feedback or an idea for our podcast, you can contact us at purpose the number two perform on Insta or Facebook or email purpose the number two perform at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Remember, performance is not a passive experience. This podcast is produced by the Brisbane Podcasting Centre. Thanks for listening.